Welcome to this new podcast series brought to you by the Electrical Safety Network. I'm Dave Austin, and I'll be hosting the programs along with Gary Gundry, technical author and trainer who brings insight from the contracting world and specialist knowledge from BS 7671, the regs, and on-site guidance. Today, we explore the role of the Electrical Contractors Association in our electrical future. Energy efficiency, balancing the grid, heat pumps, battery storage, the whole world of prosuming. What does it mean? How does it work? And what are the ECA doing to prepare us for it? Our special guest for this one, Luke Osborne, could not be better qualified. Luke is the ECA's Energy and Emerging Technologies Solutions Advisor. Having completed a mechanical and electrical apprenticeship with the Ford Motor Company in 1997, he went on to hold many technical roles from site engineer to development engineer and global support. Following completion of an engineering degree with a specialization in sustainability, Luke ran his own renewable energy installation company with a particular focus on solar before joining the ECA's technical team in 2018. Here's a taster of what you'll hear. The earthing from the electricity network can't be relied upon in an islanding mode. Being separated from the grid, you're in your, in your own little islands, so you are in control of your own destiny, but we, we're worried about electric shock, fire, so all of these extra bits and requirements are now added in. Everything in our lives is going to be turned upside down over the next 15 to 20 years. Luke, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm going to kick straight off with this word, which is now being buzzed around quite a lot, prosuming. What is prosuming? Okay, well, it needs to be taken in the context of energy prosuming. So this is where the building now becomes uh, not just a unidirectional flow of energy into a building from the grid. It's now producing and consuming energy. It's an active component. So Gary, when we had the 18th edition, we got very excited about our potential part eight. It didn't actually end up being part eight. It popped into the appendix. Where are the regs going with the whole prosuming thing? It's the future, uh, and it's coming now. It's, it, we have it uh, in, in its infancy, so we need to embrace it. So perhaps it, we might be embracing it as a slow starter, but we need to start somewhere, don't we, Luke? And it's, gonna, it's slowly but surely coming. So using the word prosumer was a bit of a, uh, a mess with people saying because it's like two words melded to one this there. Is, I understand this is derived from pr- producer and consumer. Yes, and the so two it, words have come together. Yeah, so because in electrical kit, we talk about prosumer as being a part way between professional and consumer. Correct. No, I mean, from Luke's explanation earlier, is most dwellings and offices consume electricity. You know, we, we plug things in and we just use it up. But we're going to have solar PV on the roof, so that would be generating it. You're going to have the electric vehicle, which has got a battery in it, so that ideally will connect into the house. So, you know, do we need AC? We were, talk, we were talking with... Uh, Previous speaker, Darren Staniforth, about DC, so LED lighting. So it's all going to be interconnected, and we want to manage that, don't we? We want to sort of distribute the load over the network and control it in a smart way. Yeah, from my point of view, this is uh, it's critical in creating the, the balanced uh, smart energy grid of the future. Um, you often hear people kind of... Uh, dismissive of electric vehicles because the additional loads that are going to be put on the grid. But when when you actually think there's 32 million vehicles around at the moment, say 20% of them, or 20%, say 20 million of them become electric by 2050, you've got a huge amount of uh, flexible capacity which can then be added. That's just taking the EV side of things. But you're using that to balance the buildings. You're going to have on-site battery energy storage, on-site generation, and it helps to reduce the reliance on the grid. Uh, which I think will be appreciated all around. When we're doing presentations, I'm I'm often asked this business about will the grid cope with the onslaught of electrical vehicles and and particularly ground source heat pumps, which are a a big demand, big draw on energy. Uh, uh, So are you arguing that it will in fact balance itself out? What, what 
what we stop using will replace what we need to use. I'm very confident that because it's not going to be a switch overnight, we're going to have a, a gradual implementation. We don't have long. We need to have a lot of this work done by 24. 2045 last shot really probably before then but um, as you've got the gradual adoption and use of these technologies uh, we will also be having increased amounts of renewable generation put onto the grid at the same time so adding these other technologies adds the flexibility needed by the uh, the renewable generation to provide that buffer zone so yeah I'm confident that we can do this. And is the vision ever that that people would be completely off-grid, that they would generate enough in their own environment to supply their needs, charge their cars, heat their houses, and just live off the sun, as it were? I guess it comes down to individual use, but it is a possibility. I think when they're purchasing batteries, they like the idea of being able to run off-grid, and so they'll often ask the installer, oh, will this give me the ability to just separate from the grid? And often, if the installer's not properly trained on the type of equipment, they will probably say to the user, yes, they can. But there are certain considerations that need to be taken into account. There needs to be additional earthing. Um, the, the, the earthing from the uh, electricity network can't be relied upon in an islanding mode. So it's possible, but there do need to be extra things taken into account. But most people probably wouldn't need Now, to. that's an interesting perspective. I'd never thought of that. Island in mode. And, and we've addressed this in part eight. So we have new terms. This is being separated from the grid. You're in your, in your own little islands. So you are in control of your own destiny. But we, we're worried about electric shock, fire. So all of these extra bits and requirements are now added in. Early doors, for, for sure. But, you know, we need to make it clear to people that you can't just buy a kit off of the internet, plug it in and separate yourself. Because obviously... You've got other people to think about. Gary mentioned, we'd, we've chatted to Darren about consumer units, and he was suggesting that the consumer unit of the relatively near future would almost be a plug-and-play unit. You would buy it. It's almost like a computer that you would put in, and it would manage your household electrical supplies in and out, DC and AC, with just connecting in. There's no wiring up to be done. What, what do you think about that? Uh, it's a possibility. It could go down that route. I do think we will end up having enhanced plant, plant rooms domestically, uh, especially for new builds, because I think with the advent of power over Ethernet, which offers a, a safe, low voltage, so maximum 57 volt DC, but ability to deliver up to 100 watts of power, uh, which is dictated by the device. So if a device needs lower than that, it will say just send me 20 or whatever. So I think there's a distinct possibility of having dual wiring systems. Some people argue that that's a waste of additional copper going in, but in reality, you're going to need less 1363 sockets. You probably just maybe need one here and there for a washing machine. Well, no, you you will need them for your ovens, hobs, and yes. washing machines, uh, dishwasher, so high demand devices, but they tend to be fixed. So for the uh, 1363 sockets, I was going to say a hoover, but most hoovers now are becoming battery powered, so you can take that out of the equation. Pretty much the only thing left is an iron. Toaster? Okay, yeah, in a description. <laughs> yeah. But no, but you'd and have... And a microwave my, oven, but you, I know where you're going. Yeah, but yeah. lots of things would be fixed. The toaster could be done yeah. under a grill. But, when, but you, yeah. when you talk to people, uh, you know, household people, um, you talk to them, what do you plug in? They go, oh, my laptop charger, I plug in my phone. You're converting that to DC, so this is this is one of the benefits. So we might as well just put, plug it in. And LED lights, we don't need to run 1 mil, 1.5. Just... This, this, this is it. All these have built-in um, transformers and drives, etc. And the other side you want to talk about is plugging it all in and then we've got the smart side of things. So smart homes, is that something that the ECA is looking at? Well, th this links into the same same thing. I mean, we, we've just said about the power over Ethernet side of things. Um, all, your, all the chargers we just mentioned, they've got the, the inbuilt conversion and the, the lighting as well with the drivers. Um, but with Power Over Ethernet, you've got the, the data and the power being delivered. And also, uh, like I said, the, the power can go up to 100 watts. 
your your Apple big 15 inch laptop charger thing that that's 87 watts and that's USB-C. USB-C is compatible with power over Ethernet. So you just have these sockets. That's that's takes care of all that. You've got everything linked in. When when we're talking about EV charging, there's often I said to you this question about the demand on the grid, and I promote an idea that we've got to do a paradigm shift about how EV cars will eventually be used in the future, that there will be central parking locations and a self-drive car will come to your door. And it all sounds like science fiction, but we know it's not. It's coming. Uh, so do we actually have to start really shifting our paradigms about pretty much everything when it comes to installations? Uh, yeah, I think everything in our lives is going to be turned upside down over the next 15 to 20 years. It's not just the energy side of things. We've got the shift to EV, but it will be the automated side of things. It will be transport as a service. That works for many other products out there. It seems uh, ludicrous having vehicles in the main sat there doing nothing for 90% of the time. Exactly. Okay, yes, yes. For me, just then, the, uh, I said that helps to balance the grid. So there's a use case for that. But you could centralise that. You'd have these automated electric vehicles being used as and when. But as, this, as we shift from one to another, this should help to balance itself out. So, yeah, I'm not unduly concerned. But people do need to change their – they need to be receptive to a change of mindset. And um, what is the role of the ECA in that change of mindset? I mean, looking ahead, let's talk about the domestic electrician apprenticeship going live in summer of this year, 2022. What's that, what's that all about? Well, there's a definite need there um, to make sure that people that are installing in people's homes are fully qualified, trained, competent and safe. And so this is a new apprenticeship. It's uh, it's a very robust apprenticeship. It's three years. It can be topped up for an additional year to be full commercial status. But one of the main differentiators with this is that it will embed the, the training and understanding of battery storage systems, EV charging equipment, solar PV, etc. And it's making sure that the next generation um, are already conversing how to install these things. And we know that the next generation is so in tune with the problem of climate change being able to demonstrate that they could be part of the solution to the problem of climate change should be a really good win. We know this is a stable industry. There's lots of work ahead. There's lots of opportunities. There's good rates of pay. So, yeah, this is just another thing that showcases how much this industry can do, not just for the world, but for the individual as well. And will that make it a more attractive industry to come into? Because recruitment has been challenged, hasn't it, certainly yeah. over the last few years? Yeah, I think there's a shortfall of between twelve and 15,000 uh, organically every year uh, and I think it's the perception I mean we we have this this problem in the UK um, of the problem of uh, the perception of the word engineer and on the continent and externally um, the engineer is a respected trade it takes its word from the, uh, the 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 word ingenious and ingenuity whereas in the UK it tended to um, take its form from engine stoker so the 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 perception of engineer is the down and dirty kind of stuff, not the ingen ingenious and stuff. And still very male, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's still very male and stale. Mm. And uh, things do need to change with that respect. Unfortunately, our industry does tend to generate quite a lot of carbon. So what's the ECA's role in working on carbon emission reduction? And what, what initiatives have you got in place for that? Um, there's the Construction Leadership Council and Actuate. So Actuate is a consortium of uh, organisations like ECA, so uh, representatives of industry, and taking it very seriously in uh, <clears throat> in showcasing or educating our members in the trades of their involvement in meeting climate change targets. So not only in their ability to be able to deliver the works that are available, we've just talked about the ele electrical side of things and <clears throat> what can be done there, 
but also in how they can manage their own businesses, reduce their own climate carbon targets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a new carbon code came out a few months ago, helping uh, companies to pledge towards this. So we're part of that. And also uh, ECA on its own, we produce lots of guidance. Uh, we're encouraging our members and showing them how to pivot their business towards these green technologies. There's so many opportunities out there. And it's really important that they take additional training for any of these new tech that's coming through. I mean, they've got the core skills, which is fundamental for all these things, but it's the upskilling, which is really important just to understand the nuances. So we're guiding them in where the training is, providing webinars and uh, other bits and pieces. We're working with Bayes and the uh, Electrification of the Heat Task Force, et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying to represent the industry and be involved in, in as many places as possible. Gary, thoughts on all you've heard? Yeah, that was a lot, wasn't it? To it take was in. a lot. I, it was. I was um, thinking, because both you and I cover the helpline on the ECA side of things, and um, that training is seen as, as a bit of a burden. It's like, uh, oh, so I've got something else I've got to do. But, you know, the way that you've just explained all of that is, this is a fantastic opportunity. Uh, and one of the things Dave and I get to work on is um, that seeing what's coming is, is seen as like, well, I do that anyway. But there's a lot of nuances in, in, in the skill for the connections, the, the, the load, the bearing, the smart meter, just the whole thing coming together. So that additional training and upskilling will actually make it safer. You'll be more efficient. You know, we've done some EV installs. We, we've not hit problems, but we've encountered lots of issues. So, you know, it takes, takes time to, to, to re- revolve, resolve all of these, I was going to say. So, you know, you've got to talk to the manufacturer. You've got to talk to other clients. You know, if you did a proper training course and it was all explained to you in detail, you're going to be doing it safe, right? And in a more efficient manner. So I think that's good, good, good news for the industry, really. But particularly for electro energy storage systems or batteries, as they're more commonly known, um, it was solely done on uh, manufacturer training before. But there's now industry standard industry level three uh, training for this now, uh, delivered by uh, Logic, I think, and a number of other partners. So we're starting to see more robust training uh, being rolled out as well, which is. Because I was going to ask you, do you think we're going to need some new qualifications? I mean, EV charging is still one of those that you don't need to be specifically qualified for. Your skills as a registered electrician should take you there. But we've unearthed all sorts of... Oh, no pun intended. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Nasties, particularly when it comes to earthing. And we feel that it does require a little bit of extra training. What do you think about that? Uh, Yes, I I think you're right. Some people would dispute that. Uh, And it's... Some of it is down to the peculiarities that we have in our regulations regarding electric vehicles. Um, We are overly cautious on the risk of a broken pen, um, possibly unfoundedly so. In the report in 2012, it did highlight that uh, it was an acceptable risk, um, but that we have what we have in the regulations at the moment. So we do have to abide by 722.411.4.1 in Dent 4. Uh, with some of the bits and pieces in there, which uh, are peculiar to earthing. But it it may be that further down the line, we realise that the risk isn't there, and so some of these things can be trimmed back. So some of this training needs to advise installers that this is there and they, they should abide by that. But really, it is just a radial circuit. And there's lots of safety in place already, the RCDs, etc. But it is an awareness. In some recent reports they um, by Senex and uh, I think it was the Department of Transport, they did unearth some issues. But on analysis, these were straightforward electrical issues which shouldn't have been done by yeah, anyone. They, they were just craftsman skills, weren't they, yeah. in some cases? I mean, admittedly, they were, you know, maybe the odd incorrect RCD installed, as in the type of stuff, but some of these issues that we read from the report yeah. were, you know, the gland wasn't terminated properly or they didn't have the right IP rating. It's like, this, this is 
basic skills. So, you know, if, if, we, if we can't get that right, then the extra top-ups... Yeah, and ironically, the, not the training, certainly the training that we offer on that subject, wouldn't have picked those up. No, it wouldn't have. They would have assumed those skills. Yeah, yeah. so it's... A... But that, that kind of raises the point for, uh, for encouraging people to go through a, a strong, robust electrical apprenticeship, um, which, okay, yeah, you still get rogue people coming through from all sides in all industries, but it ensures that a higher level of depth of training has been delivered. Luke, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for your words of the future, painting an interesting and exciting picture. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, great. Nice to see you again, Luke. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Luke Osborne of the ECA with an exciting and challenging vision of our future. And thanks to him for that insight and to Gary Gundry for his perspective. So, does the prosumer future excite you? Or do you feel like hanging up the MFT? Whatever your response, I hope you found this podcast informative and useful. If so, check out other podcasts in this series from the Electrical Safety Network. I'm Dave Austin. Thanks for listening.